Everyone has a story. It may not be glamorous or filled with adventure, but it's theirs. Welcome to Lifting with Larry, the podcast that features the unique stories of everyday passengers from the world of rideshare. Welcome to Lifting with Larry, What's Your Story? Have you ever wondered what it would be like to serve in the military? What about serving in the military during a time of war? Well, my guest today has done that and a whole lot more. And I think you're going to really enjoy her story. Biggie, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here and thank you for your service. Thank you. I also want to tell you that we have a special guest host this week. My wife, Kathy, is going to be uh, a special guest host with me this week, and I appreciate her doing that. Thank you. I am delighted to be part of this episode. Well, let's get right into it. First of all, uh, Vicki, I'd like to start out by just um, explaining how I met each, each of my guests. So I think it was less than a week ago, I guess, I think I had you as a passenger. Is that right? That's true. <laughs> yeah. So I was, uh, I was out, and I, I believe you had done, been shopping at Walmart. That that's correct. Yeah, and so I, it, sometimes it's hard to remember. I, I see so many people and pick up so many people that sometimes I'm wrong. <laughs> so yeah, I picked you up at Walmart, and as we were taking you to your apartment, you were sharing just a little bit about your background and and being in the military, being in the Navy, and I knew right away that that you had to have some fascinating stories, and you shared just a little bit about it, about that with me. But I'm I'm looking forward to really digging deeper into that and hearing a lot more about your story because i know you shared some more this morning with me and i'm looking forward to getting into that before we get to that part of your life why don't you tell us a little bit about your um your background your childhood where you know where you're born things like that well i was born in a little little town in indiana winchester indiana i'm 64 years old i moved to kentucky in owensboro when i was 14 to live with my dad he passed away 27 years ago I don't see my mother or my other siblings very much. How many siblings do you have? I have an older brother, 10 years older than me, half-brother. Okay. He lives in Connecticut. He also has served in the Navy. He's, he served in submarines. And uh, I have a younger brother. He lives in southern southern Indiana. I have a half-sister that lives in Ohio, and a half-sister that lives in southern Indiana. I have a stepsister that's deceased. I have a half-brother that's deceased. He was 19, and he committed suicide. Oh, my goodness. Sorry to hear that. He had gone into the Marine Corps, and his father had committed suicide from... He had been in the Marine Corps during the Korean War. And... um of course, you know, when you serve during war, you see a lot of things, and you experience a lot of things. He committed suicide. Well, his son found him. So my brother was pushed into going into the Marine Corps. When he got on the firing line, he couldn't handle it. So he was discharged. He was 19 years old, and he took his own life. That's so sad. Oh, my goodness. That was that happened the 29th of August, 1980. That's just right around the corner. I'm so sorry to hear that. That's a hard time. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure Absolutely. it is. I'm sure it's a very hard time. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, PTSD is a hard thing 
you know, I suffer from it too, from being, you know. Sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and, and it's just now, you know, in the last maybe 10 years, I think they're starting to, to at least identify what it is and come up with some treatments and, exactly. and programs. I know back probably when you served in the Navy, they didn't even really probably have a name for it. No, mm-hmm. they and didn't. They Back then, I think they called it um, shell, shell shock. shock. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I remember that term. I remember that term. Yeah, they called it shell shock. And then it was only if you were on the front lines and, you know, you were shot at. That was the only time that you were diagnosed with shell shock. Right. Now, you mentioned that you you yourself has suffered from PTSD. Do you mind sharing a little bit more about that? While I was stationed overseas, the first department I was stationed in was air freight, and which meant that I shipped a lot of freight. Well, I served during the last part of Vietnam. Bodies are considered freight. Mm. Okay. My goodness. Mm. It's a lot to do that with That is. That very much is. So I did ship bodies. Well, bodies are not embalmed until they reach the United States. That's hard enough to do, to ship them. But one summer I got one that came through that the, the, the um, seal broke in 117-degree weather. Oh, my goodness. That's a memory you don't ever forget. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you don't forget the bodies that you ship. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But that's a memory you never forget. And then, of course, um, I was also attacked by a fellow service member. And that's only now in the last... Ten, ten years probably. They, they ten yeah, years. You, you that hear about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you actually hear now. about mm-hmm. service men, the men attacking the service women, mm-hmm. and something actually being done about it. Now, the, thankfully, the man that did attack me, he was court-martialed, but he stood. He he was not discharged. You know, they they charged him with assault with intent to kill. They charged him with a very violent attack. A very violent attack. Mm -hmm. They charged him with destruction of government property. But they only busted him down to E1. Didn't discharge him. No discharge. That's amazing. No discharge. No no jail time. Oh my gosh. (sighs) That's that's hard to imagine these days that you know people can get away with stuff like that but it happened a lot i know yes it did happen a lot you know especially back in well i went in in the 70s so even these days you read i know i've read stories just recently about women who've been attacked or are i know there was one actually on the submarine uh where they had like a private chat group and they would take they would take like hidden pictures of, of the women that served on the crew. They had cameras in their, you know, in their dorms and in the showers, and they would pass those around and rape the women, and it's horrible. You know, you see, when, before I got out, they went around and asked the women, do you think women should serve on submarines? Do you think women should serve on ships? 
do you think women should serve together with the men? Mm. My answer to these questions were no. Absolutely not. For one thing, it's dangerous. Right. It's not, you know, I mean, it's dangerous for the women. And, of course, then you get some women saying, oh, well, you know, well, you, you know, it's women like you that's given the rest of us the bad name. You know, the ones of us who are here to do a job and to want to make a life for ourselves and make a, a career for ourselves. But they got what they wanted. So now, you know, now they're wanting to put women into elite groups, which they have no business going into. That's my personal opinion, I guess. Sure. Yes. How did you end up in serving in, in the Navy? Well, my father had served in the Navy. My oldest brother had served in the Navy. So it's kind of a family tradition. Yeah. I mean, you know, my father was all for it. My brother wasn't. <laughs> no. He didn't think you had any business serving in the Navy? No, military. he didn't think I had any business going into the Navy. <laughs> Not his little sister. Sure. Yeah, that's understandable, I think. That's but you know, I loved it. You know, boot camp to me was a mind game. Very much so, yeah. You know. I mean, that's you know, I just played their mind games with them. I loved it. Right. Right. So, where did you do your uh, boot camp? I did my basic training in Orlando, Florida, which is now is no longer there. Their basic training is no longer in Orlando. Hmm. It's now in Great Lakes, Illinois. I believe that's the only one they have. Mm-hmm. Now, prior to going into the military, I know you have the military background in your family, mm-hmm. but was it a desire of yours to go into the military or more you did that because it was more of an expectation no, because the it, history was there from your family? I think for me, it was... Um, hmm. I think for me it was kind of a challenge. Mm-hmm. My dad, I think my father kind of, um, it was a game between he and I. Okay. He he would he would do things and say things like, "Okay, oh, you, you you couldn't do it." You and he he I knew what he was doing. Exactly. It it was a mind game between he and I. Mm-hmm. Yes. I did it to prove to him that I could do it. I was man enough. I was going to do it. Mm-hmm. I was going to show him I was going to do it. That That's why I did it. Okay. In hindsight, are you very thankful for yes. your time in the military? Yes. I mm-hmm. wish I wish that I had not been stupid enough to get out. I wish that I had stayed in and made a, a, a career out of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I know as we go through the podcast, I'm sure we'll talk more about what led to your decision to come out of the military, but we'd love to hear more about your experiences while you were in the military. So after your basic training, uh, where, where were you stationed or where'd you go? And did you know that you were headed for Vietnam? Well, I didn't actually go to Vietnam. I served during the Vietnam conflict, the end of the Vietnam conflict. Uh, following Orlando, I went to Meridian, Mississippi. That was my A school. That's that's what I did uh, to learn my trade. And that was for aviation storekeeper. And there, uh, this was during, this is during the 70s, okay? And now you have to remember, in Mississippi, 
and in the 70s, it's a very discriminating time. Very very segregated still. Very segregated still. (laughs) Okay. I'm part Native American. And my, um, my eyes were, I guess, always closed to color. Now, my father was very biased, but I never was. And I became very close friends with a black girl. We were going to get an apartment off off base, you know. We would do everything together, go to the lake together and go out to eat together and all this, you know. And she dated white boys and I, I'm white guys. I dated white guys, you know. We did everything together. And one of the teacher, one of the instructors pulled me aside. He said, do you know what you're doing? Yeah. Candy and I are going to get a place off base. Off base. Uh, this is Mississippi. So, you know, mm-hmm. she's a fellow service member. Absolutely. Right. She's serving just like you are. She's right. serving just like I am. Absolutely. We're doing the same training. This is Mississippi. She's black. You're white. What's that have to do with it? I saw no color. Right. She's just a, just a, a friend and a fellow service member. Right. right. She's a friend, mm-hmm. a fellow service member. Absolutely. He said, you'll get killed. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand this. Yeah, I mean, you were you were still what? How old were you? I was nineteen time? years 19? old. Yeah. I was nineteen years old. Sure. Yeah, you, you, you generally don't think about that kind of stuff yeah. when you're that age. You know, I I grew up from fourteen till nineteen in Owensboro. I've very rarely ever saw black people. Mm-hmm. You know, so. So y'all did y'all end up rooming together? No, we stayed there on base. Okay. I mean, you know, but. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't let us move off base together. Really? No. But we did everything together. We ran together. We got we got in a lot of trouble together. <laughs> we did do that. We got in a lot of trouble together. But uh, I went then from there. I went to Spain, and she went to Norfolk, Virginia. But when I would take leave, I would my last week, I would always visit her in Norfolk, and then we really got in trouble together. Well, you had the right perspective, for sure. Um, it's a shame that people see color. It is. And you need to see the person and who that person is. Exactly. And that's what you need to focus in on. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, I just couldn't understand it. Mm-hmm. It's hard to imagine in today's time here the kind of bias that they faced, I think, at that time in the Deep South. You know, I, I don't think today's kids. I was telling, um, I was telling my wife when we first met. I can still remember when our elementary school was uh, was integrated here in Bowling Green, and that was hard for her <laughs> to imagine mm-hmm. that. You know, my first few years of elementary school, we, we were not integrated. I grew up in Connecticut, where one of your siblings is from. Uh-huh. And um, we didn't have that. There was total integration, not segregation. So that was a foreign concept to me to think that we are in our lifetime 
that that was actually happening. And I do know from history that that was happening, but mm-hmm. not in the part of the country where I was growing up. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, I, it was amazing to me. I didn't understand it. I mean, you know, in the 70s, to be told, no, you, you know, and this is a fellow service member that's mm-hmm. telling me this. No, you, you can't, you shouldn't do this with a fellow, with another service member because of the color of her skin. Well, if she's good enough to serve in the military, and if she's good enough to be here doing the same training that I'm doing, why is she not good enough to live in the same house? Yeah, it makes no sense. Ridiculous. It makes no sense to me. Right. She was exactly the same rank as I was. Why is she not good enough? It it made no sense to me. But I did I had never grown up that way. Now as far as she goes, was she from the north or from the southern part no, of the country? No, she was from the south too. She was, okay. But she saw no color either. Mm-hmm. She thought she was white. Mm-hmm. So Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, because she dated white guys. Mm-hmm. You know, she I mean I was a I was a white girl, so I was her friend. And you all ran around and got in a lot of trouble. And we ran around and got in a lot of trouble. Do you have a story that you want to share about that, or would you rather bypass that? Well, um, we were we were we were on at Norfolk, and uh, there was a carload of of black guys, service members, mm-hmm. riding around, and they made a racial slur towards me at her, and about her running around with me and oh my goodness the words she said at those boys and she and we took off running after them and if we had caught them we would have probably beat the living tar out of them but we did and they were just those boys was just laughing because we was running after them because we took our shoes off and was running after them you know how southern girls are. You take your shoes off, you think you're going to run faster. Mm-mm-mm. I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned uh, you mentioned that you got deployed to Spain. Yes. And talk a little bit about your time in Spain and the events and history that were going on at that time. Well, when I when I got to Spain, Franco was a dictator, and he was in power at that at that time. I don't know if you know this, but Franco had uh, his own secret police that walked around. And they walked around in green uniforms with these funny little hats on that were flat on top and flat in the front and round at the, at the back and had these little bills on. And they walked around carrying submachine guns. And they would shoot you first and ask questions later. And they had automatic death penalty for murder, rape, and child molesting. And they would put you in front of a wall and open fire. Automatic firing squad. If you got caught for drugs, you went to prison for seven years and a day. And that day was any day you chose. they chose it to be. And a lot of times... They would use, there was still the prison in use that Columbus got his crew out of. Mm 
Really? That prison is still, was still in use. historical. Yes, wow. that prison was still in use. <laughs> and it was in the town of Cadiz, which was just a few miles from Rota, where I was stationed. And I remember one night, I believe it was on New Year's Eve, I was coming on base to go to work. I, after I, When I first got there, I, I worked, as I said, at Air Freight. And I worked for the d- division officer. He was a lieutenant commander. And first thing he said to me was, there's no place in my man's Navy for a woman. Uh, probably a lot of that back, back oh, in those yes, days. Oh, mm-hmm. yes. The older officers, that, that was their outlook on it. You know, they didn't want a woman, you know, they thought it was a man's place. And they thought that my place was to make coffee and to do their errands. Gopher. Yeah, I was a gopher. And I, I, which I knew how to make coffee. I'd worked in restaurants before. And I said, I don't know how to make coffee. Uh, That wasn't my job description. I'd been to school. And I was going to do my job. And uh, I said, I don't know how to make coffee. Who made your coffee before I got here? And they said, well, that's your job now. You're going to make coffee. I said, I don't know how. I told you, I don't know how. I don't drink coffee. I've never drank coffee. I don't know how to make coffee. Well, that's your job. Okay. These big silver coffee pots that they have I took a great big can of coffee poured the whole thing in it the coffee's done they never had me make coffee mm-hmm. again <laughs> oh, that's all right. I had a feeling you were ahead <laughs> so it sounds like you you were pretty feisty and held your own with the guys oh yeah mm-hmm. I only stayed in that department f- uh, for one quarter uh, no two quarters which was, uh, let's see, six months? Yeah, six mm-hmm. months. Okay. And then um, the division officer and I again had a round. After I had been, I was the first female to ever be hazmat qualified. Mm-hmm. Okay. What led you, how, how did that happen, or what led you into well, being hazmat qualified? There, the, it was, the, the course was offered. And, um, I was always one. I wasn't afraid to do anything. So I thought, well, what what the heck? So I signed up for the class. And I went through it. And I I was qualified. I got qualified, you know, hazmat qualified. First female ever to be hazmat qualified there. And um, shortly after, I had a, we had a C-130 come in. Uh, it was a cargo plane that the landing gear uh, malfunctioned, and it came in on its belly. Oh my! And they had to foam the runway, and it was loaded with ammunition and explosives. That's a scary uh, situation. Absolutely. Yeah, yes. being hazmat qualified, mm-hmm. I had to go out and check everything off. What was your feeling with this being oh, your I first was, experience? Oh, I was terrified. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
believe me, mm-hmm. I was terrified mm-hmm. because, you know, through my head, I'm going, okay, this is what you do. This is what you do. This is what you, you, you know, in case of this, this is what you do. In case of this, this is what you do. In case of this, this is what you do. In case of this, you better kiss your rear end <laughs> goodbye because you're mm-hmm. gone. Mm-hmm. You know, if this happens, you're gone. Mm-hmm. You don't Lights have out. a chance, mm-hmm. you know. Right. So it, it was pretty scary. Mm-hmm. What did you find when you got out to the plane? And Well, the runway had been foamed down, mm-hmm. you know, prior to the, the plane landing. So it, mm-hmm. it was pretty, it was pretty well safe. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. and everything was tied down like it was supposed to be. So I was okay. Thank goodness. <laughs> I'm still here. Mm-hmm. Which we're thankful for. Yes. <laughs> Very much so. Um, besides uh, serving in Spain, uh, what other places was there anywhere else that you that you were stationed? When I came back, I was released from Spain and sent back to Warminster, Pennsylvania, which was the Naval Air Development Center, which is no longer there. <laughs> Seems to be a recurring thing. <laughs> yes, a lot of the bases, unfortunately, are closed over the last however many years since the late 70s they're they're all gone i mean you know the government has shut them down budget cuts Mm -hmm. yep but at the naval air development center the there was one barracks there were only 250 military that was there and the rest of them were civilians that that worked at that development center And there were only, I think, at that time, I think there were only 11 females. And we had to drive to Willow Grove, which was, I think, 13 miles away from Warminster for us to barracks there. Because there was only one barracks at Warminster. And they wouldn't cordon off the top floor for us the whole floor or even half of the floor for us so they made you drive instead they made us drive to another town that's amazing or to another base you know right at another town so they did was that your last uh that was that was my last duty station okay and then i i I decided to get out, and I I shouldn't have. I should have just stayed. I should have just stayed in and taken leave and, you know, and re-enlisted because I tried to go back in 10 days later, and I was medically disqualified. So what was it that that kept you out? They never did say. They just said I was medically disqualified. Mm -hmm. Did the attack that you experienced lead to your decision at that time to leave the military? Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that the attack in any way, shape, or form led to them saying that you were not medically qualified to reenter? And I, were... I think so. I mm-hmm. think that had a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that was wrong. I don't think they should have done that. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that I you know I think that was prejudice because you know they didn't put him out exactly right. You know, of course they didn't put me out, but 
they wouldn't allow me to they I guess they would have allowed me to stay in mm-hmm. but because I chose to take a discharge they wouldn't allow me to come back in but when I asked for the reason they just said medically disqualified mm-hmm. well now I'm I'm you know part of my uh, diagnosis is PTSD so you know how does the PTSD affect you to this day? I still have nightmares. You know, I have a little dog that wakes me up when I have my nightmares. Okay. She she wakes me up mm-hmm. uh, when I have when I'm in a terror. You know, most of the time she can wake me up. Um, I don't sleep that well. You know. So, I'm sorry you're experiencing that. Well, that's just something that, you know, and I mean, I've been through dialectical behavior therapy classes. Mm-hmm. I went through that for two years mm-hmm. at Dayton VA. You know, I moved up there for several years to live around my sister. And I went to the Dayton VA to, to go through that. And they were going to send me to Florida to go in-house. Well, I told him I can't do that. I can't leave my dog. And um, so I went through the dialectical behavior therapy classes there in Dayton every day for two years. And it helped. But it still, you still have to deal with it every day. It's, it's just, you know, anytime you go through a trauma, um an assault, a rape, um, you know, anything like that. You you have to deal with it every day. Yes. And I'm sure there's triggers. Yes, there are triggers. And you've been dealing with this for a long time. A long time. Mm-hmm. Over 40 years. What has been the thing that has really helped you the most? To, to maintain? Mm-hmm. Um, well... My dog, you know. Yeah, we're dog people. Dogs are great. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. What would you like to see um, differently from the military to be able to help those who are coming back who are experiencing the same symptoms that you are as far as the PTSD? I know it manifests itself in different ways for different people, but is there something that you would like to see being done differently where there would be more of a focus and an attention on that aspect? Well, I think what I'm seeing is that um, we're losing so many therapists. You know, like since I've been here in Bowling Green, I've had four therapists. And I've only been back in Bowling Green for maybe five years, maybe six. And I've had that many therapists you can't do that because every time you get a new therapist you have to start over you can't do that and trust is a huge issue yes. when you're dealing with PTSD exactly. you have to build that trust that's it that's exactly right mm-hmm. and that's something that that the VA has got to stop you've got to get these therapists and be able to maintain them you know when to build a relationship with these with these veterans, or it's not going to work. That's why there's so many suicides 
among veterans, you know, because we suffer from PTSD every day. You know, that's why there's so many suicides among us. Yeah, the treatment of our, our, our veterans is one of the most disgraceful things about our our government, I think. I agree. They just, I agree. You give your life or you dedicate your life or, or you serve a term in the military for your country and you deserve to be treated with respect and you deserve to have the care and the help and the therapy that, that you need when you get back mm-hmm. after you deal with that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when I was when I first got out and had to start using the VA, I kept my mouth shut about my treatments. Well, then I developed a brain tumor. Well, first I developed thyroid trouble, Graves' disease. My eyes bugged out. I started having all kinds of issues. Okay. I go to Nashville VA. All they want to do is the doctors down there are are Vanderbilt doctors. They're teachers, okay? Because I not only had Graves' disease, I also had Hashimoto's disease. That's very rare, okay? They want to use me as a teaching tool. What does VA do? They let them. They're not worried about my health. They're letting these doctors use me as a teaching tool. In the meantime, I'm getting worse. Okay? So finally, I'm, I'm sick of it. After two years of me going down there about every three months and being checked into the hospital and used as a guinea pig, and these students coming in and poking and prodding on you, I said, okay, that's enough. You know, do the surgery. I want the surgery. No, we're going we're gonna to do the radi- radioactive iodine. No, I already told you I'm not drinking that crap. I'm not, I'm not doing it. I've already taken the, re- the experimental drug. I told you I'd do that, and I told you I'd do the surgery, but I'm not drinking that radioactive iodine. I'm not putting that stuff in my body. That's my choice. My choice. My body, my choice. Well, come to find out, I had a goiter so large it was choking me to death. That's amazing. They finally came in and after, after the surgery, and the doctor apologized. What's that going to do? If I kept, if I'd waited three more months, I'd have been dead. I would have choked to death. I was choking on water, on liquids. They didn't care because the goiter wasn't so large on the outside. They couldn't tell how big it was on the inside. Well, then I developed a pituitary tumor. Because it's all connected. They couldn't figure out. I kept gaining weight and gaining weight and gaining weight. They, they said, well, your thyroid medicine is fine. I'm telling you, I'm, it's not enough. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 
they do two surgeries. First one, I, I went into a, a seizure, a massive seizure for five and a half hours. They had to put me on a ventilator. I almost died. It took me over a year. I couldn't remember how to spell my name. I couldn't remember how to write a check. When I started Western, I clepped out my freshman classes. My IQ was just below genius. It's not anymore because of what they did. That's horrible. And I think that probably happens more than than people realize. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For you, how did you get to the state where you are now? Because talking with you today... Um, and granted, I don't know everything about you, but you are—you've come a long way from that oh, yes. point. So, can you tell us a little bit about that road to where you are? Today? I used, you know, the search word puzzles. Mm-hmm. Yes, I used. I I got those. I would get books of those, and teach retaught myself how to spell. I still have trouble, but I had to use those. And it took me over a year. But I gave up my my license to over 20 years ago because I started having seizures from that surgery. So I wouldn't hurt somebody. Right. You know. And people always said, well, get a car, drive. Well... You know, if it was just me and I got hurt, that's one thing. But I couldn't bear hurting somebody else. Have you had seizures since yes. that surgery and even within the last year? Within, how frequent I've are had, they? Well I, well, I only get them now if I get really, really tired or upset or stressed. Or, mm-hmm. But my dog kind of helps me. Mm-hmm. You tell know. us a little bit about your dog. I can, say, well, I can tell I that your a, dog is very special to you. Yes. I have, well, she's, she's my PTSD dog. She's a long-haired dachshund. Mm-hmm. Um, she's getting older. She's 10 years old. And uh, she, can, she stays right with me. I mean, you know, she, she, um, she never leaves my side, really. She's always right on my lap or, you know, always touching me. But I also have a teacup Yorkie. I originally got him to do it, but he's a he does. He says uh, I do what I want to do. He's typical male. <laughs> he's typical male. He's I do what I want to do. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. So. So Vicky, you also mentioned to us that uh, that you've had a couple of accidents. Where you've been incidents, I guess, where you've been actually hit by by a car. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that? That's hitting twice. That's uh, yeah. I've that's been amazing. hit. I've been hit twice by a car while walking. Once in 1980, I was hit by a drunk driver walking on Scottsville Road. Um, he was never caught. Uh, 
uh, so he didn't stop. He just no, he didn't stop. Running. It was a hit and run. Yeah, he, uh, I I was wearing a a rabbit pelt coat, and uh, it happened in January, and there was snow on the ground. I was walking in the snow off off of the road, and he hit me so hard that it it actually ripped the pelt in the middle of the pelt. That's and, quite an impact. Yes, absolutely. And he hit me on my left side, and it it tore, well, pulled the muscles and everything. The doctor said if he had been just a, a half an inch more over, he it would have broke my back. Oh, my goodness. Hmm. Yeah. That, that's how bad he hit. I was bruised, and, oh, I, it hurt. It hurt bad. There was a driver coming the opposite direction. He was the other driver was going towards Scottsville. I was walking towards town, and he made a U-turn and stopped and picked me up and took me to the hospital. Oh, well, thank goodness for that. Yeah, because otherwise I would have probably laid there for God knows how long and died of hypothermia. Mm-hmm. Hypothermia. Yes, since this is the middle of January. Yeah, mm-hmm. happened at the tenth of January, nineteen eighty. Yeah, and the second one happened the day before my birthday, five years ago, I think. Down on Chestnut Street, I was crossing Chestnut and ten- I was crossing Chestnut Street on Tenth, and a woman was on her cell phone. She was turning on to Chestnut. I was using my walker, and I was in the crosswalk. And she turned and hit me. She said, well, I had the right of way. Yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah. Because I wasn't laying there bleeding to death. She had the right of way. She was on her cell phone. Yeah, there's so many wrecks that can be attributed to people being on their phones nowadays, whether it's talking or texting or just glancing down at a notification that you've got. It's uh, this is a huge problem, and we worry about our kids all the time. You know, we we, we harp on them. Don't you know? Put your phone away somewhere where you can't see it. Right. Well, you know the building uh, that's on the corner there. Right across from what used to be BB&T? Yes. Okay. The, yeah, the, the armory building. Is that what it is? Yeah, it used to be. It's apartments now, I think. But, yeah, it used to be. Okay, well, there. I don't know what was up there, but there, there was a, a post on, somebody sent it to me, that was on Instagram or face, face I don't know if Facebook. it was Facebook or, or Instagram or one of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twitter. Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um that said uh, pedestrian um, meets motorist or motorist meets pedestrian or something. Mm-hmm. And it was about about me and that car. The car didn't stop. She didn't stop until she was about two car lengths away from me. My goodness. And there was a doctor coming the other direction and he pulled over into the lane because I went up into the air and came back down and hit the ground. And uh, he sat right there on the ground with my and held my head in his lap because I hit the concrete, well, the pavement, you know. And uh, 
Of course, they. It, I was on the news and everything. They said I don't. I don't know. I, I was at you the hospital. <laughs> I was at the hospital. Right. You had other things going yeah, on. Yeah, I, I had other things going on. But uh, it. She bent my other walker up bad. It. It was compromised, so she had to replace my walker, which she didn't like. You know, but no, she was on her cell phone. They. They charged her with uh, inattention and driving her while distracted. Yeah. <laughs> All kinds of, they they charged her with several things. So it was her fault. It wasn't mine. I still had ten seconds on the walk on the walk light. And as far as I know, the last time I took a driver's test, which was many, many years ago, uh the best I can remember, pedestrians had the right of way. Yeah, I don't think Absolutely. that's changed. <laughs> And I don't believe that's that's ever changed, mm-hmm. no. right? No, not at all. And but people anymore, even when I'm on, I'm supposed to use a mobility scooter now because of all my health problems and everything. But you know, I can't do that all the time. So I and I still do try to use my walker mm-hmm. to keep my muscles up. But even on my mobility scooter, you know. People in cars do not watch. I have been almost hit, I don't know how many times, on my mobility scooter. They they will, they will make me wait. They always make me wait. Even if I have light to go, they make me wait. Everybody's in such a hurry these days, mm-hmm. even even when they really don't need to be. Just everybody, it's a rush, 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 you know, mm-hmm. world. Uh, we don't want to, we don't want to wait for anything. We don't want to just have you know, common mm-hmm. common courtesy is, is lost a lot. Mm-hmm. I think these days, yeah. and a mindfulness of other people exactly. and their needs. It's all about you. Mm-hmm. And I've even had people pull up. When I'm trying to cross, and they see me crossing, people across the street in the other lanes, they will pull way up to where I can't get into the sidewalk. And I have to go way out around them or back around behind them to get even into the sidewalk. Hmm. So you've experienced... uh a lot <laughs> over the years, yeah, for sure. I have. After you, um, so after after you got out of the military, what kind of uh, what kind of career did you did you pursue after that? Oh well, I've done a lot of things. <laughs> uh, I've worked as a, I've worked as a bartender. Uh, I've worked as a waitress. I worked as a a dog groomer. Professional dog groomer. So you finally learned to make that coffee, right? Oh, honey, I knew how to make coffee even before I went into service. <laughs> that was a mind game that, she was that playing. That was a mind game I was power playing. Game, That's right. That was a power game. They weren't going to pull anything on me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, everybody in the military always drinks coffee. Okay, that's, that's a military thing, mm-hmm. except me. Mm-hmm. I never did drink coffee before I went in the military, and I've never drank coffee to this day. I don't like the taste of it. The only thing I like are those frozen cappuccino, th- or those frozen things. And I will drink 
uh, a pumpkin spice cappuccino. Mm-hmm. Well, it's right. about pumpkin spice time of year. It's coming <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah, there you go. Now, I will drink those, but as far as a cup of coffee, no, you can mm-hmm. keep it. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. You and I have that in common. <laughs> I'm I, the same I have way. never liked cough, the taste mm-hmm. of coffee. Never. Mm-hmm. You know, 64 years old, and I've, I've never taken the liking to coffee. So they can make their own coffee. I don't care who it is. If you want it, make it. So over the years, um, I don't know that I've, I've asked you this yet, but did you, were you ever married? Uh, do you have any children? I was married, and I was quickly divorced. I have, I do have, I had a daughter, but she died. Hmm. Um, I've got um, three granddaughters. I've got eight great grandchildren. I get to see two of them occasionally, and they're spoiled rotten. The others I don't get to see as often. I've got four great grandsons and four great granddaughters, and every one of them is spoiled. But the t- the two of them is spo- really spoiled. They they like coming same with their nana, but you don't, you don't spoil them. Oh no, so everybody else spoils them, right? Yeah. Yeah. One of them is a mini-me. Well, if she's a mini-me, I would assume that she is a very determined young lady. Uh, is it a yeah, young yeah. man or young lady? Young lady. Young lady. Yeah. Because that is the word that keeps coming to my mind as we're hearing your story today, is that you are a very determined individual, mm-hmm. and you are one who does not give up. You persevere, um, regardless of the circumstances. And that is a wonderful quality about you, one of the many wonderful qualities about you, and something that, you know, more and more people need to develop that character quality within them. How would you describe yourself? If you could describe yourself in one word, what would that one word be that would characterize you? A survivor. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, after all the things that you've been through, that's... Uh, I'd say that's a good choice for sure. You've been through more than most people go through in a whole lifetime, I think. Yes. Yeah, I'm a survivor. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know why God has kept me here for this. For and I've been through as much as I've been through and and lived through it. But I've survived it, and there must be a reason. Mm-hmm. And I'll. I'll keep going until he tells me to stop. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you can be assured he has a purpose for your life. And you might not know some of those answers as far as why he's kept you. But in you know, one day, in hindsight, you'll be able to see that, right. if not before. Well, and you know, used to, I would never tell, tell anything about my story, about my life. Um. But then I realized that, you know, maybe if I do and somebody hears it, that it may help somebody else, you know, even just a little bit. That's the Mm -hmm. same thing that my last, the guest I had on my last podcast, the same thing that that she talked about. It's hard for her to talk about her story, but she thinks it might, you know, it can help people to, to hear 
uh, stories like like hers and like yours, where people um, are experiencing the same same type of thing, but they see how how you've made it through it, how right. you are determined, mm-hmm. how you are a survivor, and it gives them hope. Right. Mm-hmm. Because you know you can always you can always find something good to live for for today if 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 not for tomorrow for today mm-hmm. and then wake up tomorrow and find something to live for for tomorrow mm-hmm. very true absolutely tell us um just looking back on your life what do you what do you what would you consider maybe just the the most important thing that you've you've learned in life the most important years. thing that i've learned What a great world it is. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, when I joined when I joined the, the Navy, I didn't want to stay in the States. I wanted to see the world, you know. They say join the Navy and see the world. Well, that's what I did it for. I joined the Navy to see the world. Well, when they asked me, and when I joined... They put me in a man's billet. So when I got to boot camp, they were looking for a man. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint, but no, I'm not a man. Well, you know, when they, I wanted to go to Na- Naples, Italy, is where I wanted to go. That's the only place I knew. And they said, well, we don't have one for there, but we got one for Rhoda. And I said, well, where's that? And they said, Spain. And I said, I don't care anywhere but the United States. You know, I just want to go overseas. That's where I want to go. That's fascinating, uh, especially to think about. Back then, like I said, there there weren't a lot of uh, women. There weren't near as many women, I think, yeah. in the military mm-hmm. as there are today. They didn't have the opportunities. And it was probably a little unusual for a female to join the military and want to travel like right. that. Mm-hmm. Well, when I transferred out of my first billet into Rotable Pool, um, I transferred by by telling my lieutenant commander that that I wanted a transfer, and he said no. And I said, well, then I want captain's mast. He said, for what reason? I said, well, I feel I'm being discriminated against. Mm-hmm. Well, I was transferred within a week, and then I was transferred into rotable pool, which was uh, I maintained parts that would down airplanes, like the black boxes and the tires and anything like that, anything that that did with airplanes or or helicopters that, you know, would make the airplane not be workable Mm -hmm. and they could be repaired. And I worked in the hangar. I worked midnight shift, and I did it by by myself. I liked it like that, you know. So, but I wasn't a pushover. You know, I wasn't one of these females that was a pushover. All right, you're telling me a little bit about people would come and demand a part. Or... Oh yeah, I'd get I'd get some of the men in there, some of the uh, men from different departments. Well, we need this part here. Have you got a request? Because you'd have to have requests mm-hmm. right. for each part. Right, you have to fill out the paperwork. For you got to fill happens. out the paperwork. Mm-hmm. I got to have a record. Mm-hmm. No, I need it. And I said, well, give me a request for it. Mm-hmm. Well, I need that part. I said, I need a request for it. 
you don't get the part unless I've got a request for it. Depending on how much trouble he gave me, depended on how much how long it took him to get that part. If he gave me a lot of trouble, he might take quite a while to get that part. Again, the the buying game and the power struggle. That's right. That goes on in the military. And it got it got around. You give her too much trouble, it takes you a while to get your parts, buddy. Now, I know you had said you had a desire to go back into the military. You wish you could have made a career out of that. Um, if you had been given that opportunity, what would you? Where would you have liked to have seen yourself? In what position in the military? Um, where would you like to have seen yourself today in that role? I would have stayed thirty years mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and retired. I, I well, if they would have let you stayed until you died, I would have stayed till I died. I mean, because that's just. I don't know. I think when I first went in, I didn't think I had that mindset. But you know, when I when I graduated boot camp, you know, I actually cried to leave because I mean, boot camp is is a mind game. It is, but I really enjoyed it. I guess I I don't know. I guess because I enjoy that. I guess because I played it with my dad all the time. My dad and I, my dad was a he tried to use reverse psychology on me all the time. So I guess I just kind of played into those those games with him. And that's what boot camp was. Yes, it's definitely a lot of mind games in in boot camp. Yeah. It is, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And I think my and I and you know I think my dad the way he did things, the way he pushed me at it was was a, a type of it was it was reverse psychology because he knew that I could I could do it. It was just a reverse way of trying to get me to go to do it because I actually had I actually had signed had wanted to go the prior, year prior, and I chickened out. I had gone to the recruiter when I was 18, and I chickened out. Well, then, when I was 19, I went down, and um, I told him, I said, well, get me out of here and get me out of here quick. Well, I, I went out on Monday, and I was in boot camp on Friday. That's quick. <laughs> yep. Do you still keep in contact with the people and the connections that you made in the military while you were serving? No. I, I wish that I, there were there were a few that, you know, I really had close contact with. and Like my friend Candy, the black girl, um, I know that when I got out, she was getting sent to Gitmo. Why in the world she'd want to go to Gitmo, I have no idea. But uh, I tried to find her, and I couldn't find, I can't find her. I wish that there was a way that I could. But I don't know how to find her. And then there was uh, 
another couple of people that I made, you know, close friends with. But then there's a couple of people that I'd like to make contact with just to cause trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Stir a few things up there. Um, Just to cause trouble again. Sure. But, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just the meanness, I guess. (laughs) Still feisty. Mm-hmm. Still feisty. Uh-huh. I guess I'll be that way to the day I die. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, I think so. I have to. I have to keep that little piece of me. That feistiness is what's helped you to be a survivor. Yeah. That I has probably, contributed yeah. tremendously to yeah. that. I think okay. so. Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess you know my my, my mother's one brother. He he told me once. He said. Well, you know, he said, you're German, English, and, and Indian. He said, that makes you a, a crowd on the warpath with an attitude. <laughs> That's a good way to describe it. <laughs> he said, so you don't have a chance. Mm-hmm. Said, well, I guess not. It's in your genes. Mm-hmm. It's in my genes. Mm-hmm. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners uh, about yourself or your life or advice you have for for anyone anything else you'd like to mention no just you know any veterans that are having a hard time just you know there is hope don't give up find a friend you know if you've got friends talk to your friends there's always somebody if you don't have friends talk to God there is. There's always somebody. Always there. And if, if anybody's listening and needs that and has nobody else to reach out to, reach out to me. You can you can reach me through my email. Um, I'll be happy to put you in contact with with people that can provide the type of help that you need. And right. There's always the helpline at the VA. You exactly. know, well, VA helpline, you know, our crisis line. Yeah, there's a lot of resources out right. there. Right, there's, there's a lot a, of resources. Exactly. Don't give up. Mm-hmm. Don't 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 do that. I've survived it. Trust me, I've been through a lot too. You know, mm-hmm. so exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Well, Vicky, I just want to say um, thank you so much, and well, I was just delighted to have you as a guest today. Well, thank you for having me. Just to share your story, even though parts of it are not. Are not easy to talk about and share. Uh, you were very open with us and willing, willing to talk about pretty much anything. And, and uh, we well, do I appreciate that. I'm pretty honest about it. Yeah, you said you were pretty open and, and uh, you told you weren't lying. And that's, mm-hmm. that's great. But we just, again, thank you for your service. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, I'm a veteran as well. And well, thank you for your service. To see, like I said, the. The way the veterans get treated in in this country is just... uh, It's disgraceful. It's a shame. It really is a shame. Mm -hmm. And also this week, I want to thank my beautiful wife, Kathy, for being my co-host. I appreciate that, huh? Well, you are welcome. But I wanted to say, Vicki, thank you so much for sharing your story. And you mentioned earlier that you had remained silent about your story. And it was more recently that you've decided that you needed to share that story in hopes that someone else could learn from that or be encouraged or inspired from that. And I know that the listeners out there will 
feel those things from you. They'll so. be encouraged, inspired. And we just thank you so much for your willingness to open up. And most importantly, thank you so much for your service and the sacrifice that you made. Thank you. So we really appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks. It's time for the interesting story of the week. This episode's interesting story of the week happened to me back in September of 2018, but it's still one of my favorite rides that I've ever done just because the passengers were so much fun and just had a really fun conversation with them. When I arrived, I picked up a mom and her son who was probably about 12 um, and then their daughter who was approximately eight years old, I'd say, and they get in the car and uh, the little girl she starts uh, looking at my lights that I have. I have some LED lights in my car just to kind of keep things fun and entertaining. And she's like, oh, I love your lights. She's like, my dad is going to love your lights. And then, <laughs> then she says, my dad's a bear. And I'm like, oh, really? She's like, yep, my dad's a bear. And the wife's like, yeah, he kind of is. <laughs> and uh, then she's, the little girl is just staring at my lights. And, and finally she goes, your lights are so satisfying. <laughs> And, and I thought that was just an interesting way to describe them. And I'm like, well, I'm glad you like them. I'm, I'm really glad you like them. And so then uh, her dad comes out of the house and, and gets in. They'd been a, at a party, I guess, at their uh, or get together at their friend's house, and we're headed home. So he gets in, and he he is kind of a bear of a man. He he was he was a pretty good sized guy and had a big beard and super nice. All of them were were just super nice. But it was very funny because the the dad and the uh, little girl were were very much the same, very outgoing and talkative and um the mom and the son were much seemed much more introverted and uh kind of kept to themselves a lot more so anyway we're we're driving i'm I'm making small talk with the with the dad and uh, all of a sudden the little girl goes what's your name (laughs) and her dad goes no that's not how we ask he's like you know ask him um may i have your name please and and the little girl goes may i have your name please i was like well that's that's really good i said yeah my name's larry and and her dad goes, okay, uh, tell him your name. And she goes, my name's Romero. <laughs> and he's like, the dad was like, uh, he said, that's not fast at all. Why don't why why don't you why don't you slow it down a little bit so people can understand what you said? And so the little girl says, my name is Weird Mira. So her name was Mira, but she was calling herself Weird Mira. And then she started just giggling and laughing. And I think they'd been up a little late and <laughs> needed some sleep. But she was being silly, just being silly. So anyway, we're talking, we're talking, um, talking with her dad, driving some more, you know, toward their house. And all of a sudden from the back seat, I, I hear Mira say, Larry, may I call you Tree? <laughs> and I said, I, if you want to trees that works for me that works for me and her dad's just kind of giving her a weird look and everything and uh, and so we're driving a little bit more and talking with the dad and then mira goes larry do you mind if i call you lazy larry (laughs) and her dad turns around he's like mira what are you doing what are you talking about and she is just cracking up she is just laughing and i thought it was hilarious too (laughs) and so we keep going and uh all of a sudden, you know, we'd gone another few blocks and, and I hear Mary in the back seat. She goes, Larry, from now on, you will, your official name will be Barley. <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know if she got that, um, because the, I think the street we were on had the name Barley. Maybe she saw the sign. I'm not sure where she got the name, but her, her dad was like, Oh, 
Larry Barley. He's like, that's kind of distinguished looking. He's like, I, apparently now uh, you own a beer corporation. <laughs> and I was like, I could, I can live with that. I can live with that, Larry Barley. And the little girl, like I said, she's just, she's just cracking up on everything. So we're, we're driving some more. I'm talking to her dad and I'll sit in here, Larry Barley, Larry Barley, Larry Barley. I need to ask you a question. Larry Barley. <laughs> and her dad's like, Mira, we're talking up here. And then, uh, your dad asked me if I have any kids and I tell him that me and my wife have eight between us. And he's like, what? I'm like, I understand. I get that. I get that a lot. And he's like, our friends that that we went to dinner, we were at their house tonight. They, um, one, the, the woman works at a dental office and she gave us all this toothpaste. He's like, you've got to take some of this toothpaste cause you obviously need it with eight kids and we're not going to use this stuff ever. You know, we'll, we'll never use it all up. <laughs> and so then Barley starts asking, uh, she's like, I need to ask Barley a question. I need to ask Barley a question. And I'm like, what, what do you want Mira? And she said, how many of your kids are boys and how many are girls? And the mom's like, she's going to analyze you now. She's, she's into it. She's going to analyze everything. And so I tell him, uh, you know, I tell him, t- tell, tell Mary that we have, um, we have five boys and three girls. And then me and her dad are talking again. She's like, barley, 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 barley. And I say, what Mary, what do you need? And she said, uh, how old are the girls and how old are the boys? So I go through and we start talking and going through all the ages and, uh, we're finally getting close to their house and, and pull in. And we get in there, and then as as they're all starting to get out, Mira says, uh, "Barley, can you come get us the next time we need a ride?" And I said, "Mira, I would be delighted to come give you a ride the next time you need a ride. That would be great. That that would be a pleasure." And so then her dad hands me two two boxes of Sensodyne toothpaste. They're kind of smaller tubes, but I, I don't know how many tubes are were in the box. But uh, we haven't used. Uh, <laughs> probably haven't used a third of it yet. Um, and it's been about almost a year. So I, I get these boxes of toothpaste, which is the most unusual tip I've ever gotten. I have to say I've gotten tipped, um, uh, a beer, a couple, a couple of beers, uh, which I didn't take, uh, just because I'm not a big drinker, but I'm trying to think if I had any, any other unusual tips, but I don't, I don't really remember any other unusual tips like toothpaste that have happened. So that's, that's definitely strange. And then, um, as they're getting out, uh, Mira asked me what's all, what all is on my sign that I have. I have on my dashboard and then I also have one on the back of the, of the seat where the people in the back seat can read it. And I go through it with her and just tell her that, um, you know, on my sign, it tells them what my name is and it tells them that, uh, I have a dash cam. It says smile. You're on dash cam. And if you need water or you need the temperature adjusted or anything like that, or a phone charger, just, just, you know, let me know and we'll take care of you. And then Mary says, I wish you could come and visit our house sometime. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that sounds great. You know, I'm just, I'm just kind of playing it off. <laughs> and, and then she's like, no, you can come in right now. Come on, come on in, come on in. <laughs> and, and at this point, I'm not sure what her parents were thinking. You know, you're inviting this strange person into our house. So I played it off. I was like, you know, Mary, it's, it's late. And I really actually have, I need to get home and get to bed. And y'all probably need to get to bed as well. And so, so they're, they're getting out. And, um, the dad 
thanks me. He said, you know, anytime, anytime when we have, you know, we're out drink, we, we drink beer or anything. I always like to thank my driver for getting us home safely. And, you know, I appreciate that a lot. And I told him that I appreciate, you know, the fact that they're responsible enough to order um, a Lyft or an Uber when they're drinking. And as I, I shake his hand, I, I shake the kid's hands, they're getting out. And all of a sudden, right, right before we're leaving, he's shutting the door. Mira like pops, leans in the car. And she's like, here, you need one more for the road. And she hands me one more box of, or one more tube of toothpaste. It was just the individual tube that had gotten, I guess, out of the box somehow. So she, she gives me that. And uh, it was just, the ride was just super fun. They were great people and I enjoyed talking with them. And Mira was just a hoot. She was hilarious. I really hope that I have them as passengers again someday because it'd be good to see them and just uh, relate to them how much I enjoyed that ride. I want to thank our guest, Vicki, again, for coming on the show and sharing her story and her experiences. She's been through a lot, but she's a survivor. Uh, she's got a smile on her face, and she's just a very interesting lady to talk to. And I'm really glad that, uh, that I had her as a passenger and uh, was able to hear the rest of her story. I also want to thank my lovely wife, Kathy, for being my co-host today. She did a fantastic job, and I better watch out or she's going to she's gonna take over <laughs> if I'm not careful. So thanks, babe. I also want to um, let you know, as we talked about in the show, there's a lot of people that are going through hard times and hard experiences and feel like there's no hope. They feel like there's no one that cares about them, that there's no help for them anywhere. But there are, there are, there's a lot of organizations out there um, that are out there to help people. And if you feel alone and you don't have one to talk to, reach out to, reach out to someone reach out to a friend, a family member. You can reach out to me if you'd like to. Uh, my email is Larry at lifting with Larry.com. That's Larry. And then at lifting L Y F T I N G lifting with Larry.com. It was not working. I gave out the email in the last episode and then I, for some reason the other day it broke and, um, but we've got that fixed now. So if you've emailed me in the past and it has bounced back, know that it is working now so you can feel free to contact me if you enjoy listening to the show i'd really appreciate it if you go to itunes or spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast at and leave a rating and a review that is a tremendous help to the show kind of helps give exposure to the show to more listeners it kind of boosts you up in the search ranking so it's easier to find thanks so much for listening and as always god bless stay safe out there Thank you for listening to Lifting with Larry. To subscribe to the podcast, check out other episodes, and keep up to date, head to liftingwithlarry.com.